Okay. This is the second episode of Game of Life. Game of Life, second episode. Dan, how you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad? I listened to our first episode last night. Yeah. How was it? And it wasn't as bad as I was, as I was expecting. It's it's not. It's 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 absolutely not bad. Like for the first time as who have absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea what they're doing and they just started off of an uh, impulsive decision. I think uh, both of us sound uh, pretty good. Yeah. And I hate the sound of my own voice and I didn't mind it. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't mind mine either. It's it's uh, I'm a very self-conscious person and that first episode wasn't too bad but we can definitely smooth out the rough edges for sure but as far as first episodes go that wasn't too bad Mm. i was quite surprised i was pleasantly surprised me too um so i guess in this episode we'd like to um really discuss our interests interests wow really sort of Get to know each other a bit more. Yeah. Well, or let the audience get to know know us a bit more. A bit more. Absolutely. I think that's a that's a good premise for the for this podcast. And uh, I think we could do pretty good uh, talking about interests and what interests us or why it interests us and why are we interested in some things and what it's about those things that we like and we don't like. Okay. So let me start with you. Yeah. What interests you? What, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? And why are you interested in said hobby? I'm going to say I don't have much hobbies in terms of hobbies like, you know, going out and doing some shit. But I would say my top three hobbies would be first and foremost, which is pretty obvious, like, you know, already like photography. Mm-hmm. I love I love photography and uh, we touched on it a little bit in the first episode yeah. from memory. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, we did. I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you do want me to start on why I like what, photography? Yeah. So what sparked your interest in photography? What sparked my interest? In and photography? how how old? Actually, how old were you when you got interested in photography? Because I'm fascinated by that. Okay. I think I think I was a bit about. 13-ish, mm-hmm. 13-14-ish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my um, maternal grandfather, grandfather, he passed away in 2016. He had a camera, like a point-and-shoot Sony camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, shit, that looks cool. It was very cool to me. And I have no idea I was naturally drawn to that camera. Mm-hmm. I was a very curious kid when I was very young. I was a very curious kid. You know those kids when you go to your relative's house, you open those drawers, you want to see what, what's in that? Yes. I was that kid. Yes. I was that kid. Uh-huh. I just like, I just, it was something about other people's houses and looking into their drawers, which is so weird. <laughs> I just, it, it was just such a pleasure to me. It's like, fuck, I want to see what they have in those drawers. I was a very, very curious kid. And I used to go to my uh, grandfather's house and I just look into his drawers and his cupboards. And he had this, um, massive old, you know those old cupboards that used to sit in the corners? Yeah. 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 I, I just opened those massive doors mm-hmm. and I saw like the Sony camera sitting there. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, what is that? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I pick it up, right? Mm-hmm. I picked it up and I just figured the whole jazz of that camera out within seconds. Mm-hmm. I, just fig- I just figured it out and I was just so drawn to it. 
like okay this is how it does this is how it works and asked him i said can i borrow it he said yeah sure man okay go for it but don't don't break it or you know like and i was like okay cool i won't break it and i promise you i'll have it back uh by abc day or by the next weekend mm-hmm. he said cool okay so i take it out take it back to my uh my house and around my house we where we used to we used to live one of our neighbors had bunch of trees and bunch of pots planted of flowers right mm-hmm. and what happened was i got up to that and i had my camera all charged and ready to go i said i i set myself up for a photo shoot of those flowers i had that in mind mm-hmm. because every time i used to pass that street i used to like taking like i was like fuck they look so good and something about those plants that was appealing to me or i wanted to take pictures of that and when that camera happened and when i had that camera and when i was when i got there i just naturally wanted to take pictures it was so mm-hmm. naturally i was it's so natural to me it felt like home so i got there and uh, started taking pictures i remember a bunch of things snap 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 snap, snap. it was a point and shoot it's very easy to mm-hmm. do there's no like if you know something about photography you have to control basically three things like you know um shutter speed um iso and aperture okay. and it, it doesn't matter if you're in auto mode the mm-hmm. camera does everything by itself for you mm-hmm. and i started taking pictures and there were like five or six pictures that were genuinely good yes right and when i say those pictures were genuinely good that as a you know like a 12 or I don't, i don't exactly remember how old it was like as 12 or a 13 year old kid i could tell to myself that this is a good picture and this is not a good picture mm-hmm. which is very important in photography that you need to see and you can you need to have a perspective mm. of things yes. that okay that's a good picture and this is not right yeah. and when those pictures came out and when i showed it to my grandfather and he was very happy i showed mm-hmm. it to my mom as well and i think i would have those pictures with me as well i'll i'll, I'll put this on uh, put those on on our podcast mm-hmm. hopefully i'll show everyone what was my initial pictures were i'll show you as well and i was very happy with that i was very happy with that exercise i had those that micro sd card those big sd cards when i used to back up popped them in my mom's laptop i just downloaded all the images i figured everything out by myself mm. that was my first initial dopamine kick of my hobby mm. i was like this is good this is good before then i had absolutely no idea i didn't had any sports i i i, I didn't i didn't get into anything at all and before that period i was inst- when I, i remember that specifically before watching cartoons or during your phase of watching cartoons mm-hmm. i was watching discovery channel i don't mm-hmm. know what something something about the ima- imagery imagery for those yes. sort of documentaries absolutely which, when you watch one of those documentaries it's uh it's very you the leave you in just sort of seeing the nature and the striking imagery of yes absolutely documentary they leave you in the awe of what yeah. they've done mm-hmm. and i was like shit that's very interesting to me and then this camera incident happened mm-hmm. and i just got into there was the, the seed was planted in my head is like yep i'm going to do this keep on doing this and it's a uh, borrow his camera now and then just take a bunch of pictures and stuff that's how i got into photography. Mm. Well, that was my first initial moment of 
realizing that this is very interesting to me. And I couldn't, I couldn't realize then that this was very interesting. Mm. Now, if I look back at that time mm. when I was doing it as, as an adult, I realized that, fuck, that was such a good time that I actually realized the first time, okay, this is when I like photography. Mm. So, I mean, 13 is quite a young age yeah. to, to find something like sure. that. The fact that that's carried you up until now is is fascinating <laughs> yeah uh, what new new things have you discovered from from that initial um stage in your interest for photography okay so that incident when i was 13 14 happened and i just kept taking pictures and then i had those we had those cameras that was in you know that came into the wave uh, which has cameras and i just started taking pictures off of my phone and while i was doing that i was taking pictures off my friends as well mm -hmm. and there's something about those there were there was something about those pictures that my friends just liked it mm -hmm. and when you're doing that and when your friends like bro it's a cool picture man send that to me it's a very rewarding thing as mm. a kid because that's your hobby. You like yeah. doing that. And when people give you... Well, that's val validation. When someone's saying, yes. hey, send me that picture, that looked great. Absolutely. <laughs> right? It's such yeah. a validation. And you realize, oh, I could do that bit more. And mm. I think this is similar with comedians as well. Like, you know, like you make a bunch of jokes and people say you're, uh, you're very funny. Mm. And that's, that's such a good validation. You, you want to do more of that. Not majorly for validation, but just for the fun of it. Mm. It was such a good, it was such a good hobby. And then I remember a very strong memory I have when I was in year 11. When I changed my school from year 10 to year 11, mm -hmm. I had this friend and she had a camera, like a literal pretty good DSLR, mm. right? And I asked her, I said, hey, can I borrow your camera? And she said, yeah, sure. Mm. You can buy my camera. And she gave me that camera and I started taking pictures in a fully fledged DSLR, which is like a semi-pro to pro-ish camera. Mm. It was Nikon's. Uh, I started on an Nikon mm. and I started taking pictures on that. And I remember explicitly I took so many pictures i tried so many variations of the settings how it's done or what it is i wasn't learning anything off of youtube or anything i was just experimenting you know mm. hit and try yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just all all hit and try and when i was doing it i remember i took three beautiful images like till now if i look at those images i'm like fuck that's what that was a very good photo and i remember one of those images I showed it to my grandfather and he said, let's frame this. I printed it out and I framed that image. And that image is still in his office to this to day. To this day. To this day. That's impressive. Right? And that was such a massive validation for me that, okay, there might be something into it. But I think the lack of self-belief is what stopped me or stops me to this day that I haven't gone all in all my chips into photography yet 
but it was such a bizarre moment. It's such a beautiful picture. I'll put it put put it on on our podcast. I'll I'll put it on the screen. I'll show it to you as well. That is, it's actually a very good image. Mm. And so basically, it's like an image of a sunset, and there's a sunset in the background, and there's a barbed wire in front of it. And my focus is on barbed wire, but mm-hmm. you can see the sun dropping. It's a very, it's a very mm. good image for for someone who doesn't know shit about cameras, shit about photography. And I was so happy. I was so validated about that. I said, "Man, that's such a good picture." Yeah. And I just, I just kept doing it, taking pictures from my friends. You know, like you know those. Sometimes you like you have those friends who want to be taken pictures of. Yes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And they'll just pose for you, or they like taking pictures or shit like that. And I'm like, okay. And that was my personality, sort of my personality growing up. I was the photographer in the group. Like, okay, mm. like if someone wanted to take good pictures, where where is Harmon? Where is mm-hmm. where is he? Yeah. That was my that well, was my love for photography. That's how it started. Well, it's funny to get to that point, and then having your friends. Um, going to you as the go-to person to yeah. take their images. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite a, an impressive uh, feat when, when you think about it. Absolutely. And more than that, it's something so bizarre about doing something that you actually like that you tend to forget other things. Mm. I don't know if you remember, I did tell you that when I'm taking, I we did we did touch base of, uh, on this last mm, episode. I think so, right? And when I have my tripod set up, and when I when I see that sun setting, when I want to see those waves going on, and mm. I have my composition set. At that moment, when I'm taking pictures, I am so present in that moment that I don't remember anything else. It's hard to explain. Mm. How, how okay. So when you're, you know, out and about in everyday life, how observant are you of your surroundings? Would, would you um, would you think to yourself, oh, that's a perfect that would that would make a perfect picture to or candid picture to to uh, take? I'm so happy you asked that question because that's a very good question to begin. So with. I'm just sort of wondering. Let's get inside the mind of a photographer. Like what. Is their daily life like? Are they constantly looking for a, for a good shot, or if they don't have their camera handy, are they thinking, "Oh, is that? Oh, that would make the perfect, mm. perfect uh, shot." Shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just someone doing sort of an everyday uh, task or activity. I'll give you a quick example. When I was in uni, and our teacher gave us an assignment to take pictures, she said we had like I think twenty to thirty. Um, individuals in the class mm-hmm. and she said I'm going to give you an assignment I want you to go out take pictures of initials of your names so right. find initials so let's say my initials are HC mm-hmm. find your in- initials in nature in yeah. whereabouts yeah. and take pictures of that yeah. so let's say my initial is H you can see okay those wires cross and they make a H mm-hmm. It looks like a hitch. Yeah. I'll take a picture of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just finding new and creative ways of yes, finding yes. your initials out and about in, a so- yeah, let me, in society. Yeah, let me explain that. <laughs> so when we were doing that, after that exercise, our brain and I was sort of conditioned mm. to look at things for that hour or mm. so we were out, mm-hmm. to look at everything mm-hmm. with 
alphabets and patterns. Well, you've seen life in a totally new perspective than, than, yes. than, than you wouldn't have thought of before. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But because your your teacher gave you that task, yes. you're you're now seeing something from a completely different, different point perspective. of view. Yes. Yeah. You know when you when you're about to when you're like, oh shit, I want like new Jordans, I want like new shoes. Mm. And every time you see someone walking with good shoes, your eyes and your mind is sort of focused on that and you just automatically see that. Mm. And when you when you ask that question that, you know, what do you photographers see the world differently or what we do think that, oh, this could be a different mm -hmm. shot. It is it is like that. But I we don't have that always at the back of our mind. We'll mm. just I'll just be walking even downstairs, man. We were just sitting there and we were just talking, you know, we were waiting to get mm. up to the studio. And I said, this could be a good background. It's it's not it's not I'm not yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just comes to me yes. very naturally. It's like I know this could be a good background. Oh shit, there's a good lighting there. Oh, I know that it's summer's now, so the sunset's gonna be late. Mm. So we'll have the sun at a low angle, and when the sun's at a low angle, we'll cast long shadows, and mm -hmm. the light's gonna be good. It's all automatically. That's just that's just how it works. That's how my brain works. Yeah, and I've told that's you that's totally the mind of a creative. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and if you give me a bunch of numbers to process, my brain will like, no, no. I can't do it. Yeah, absolutely not. It. Yeah. And that would be so bizarre for some other people, but that's how my brain sees the world. That's how I see the world through my camera, through my lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know now, after doing photography for a as a hobby for a very long time, well not a long time, but for a for a while, that what kind of lens I should bring and what kind of photos I can make out of mm. this mm. shot. You're just constantly um, seeking room for improvement or how to improve yourself. I wouldn't say constantly improving. I would just say it's very natural to me. Mm. To me. I, I wouldn't know about other people, but it's so natural to you. It just comes to you. It's, it, it's creativity is just like... It's instinctual, I, I suppose. It's in the air to me. Yeah. It's, it's in the air around me. It's like, hmm, this is a nice shot. Yeah. And this would be a nice place to see. And I remember every time it rains in Melbourne, mm. I'll, I'll just be in the city taking pictures of like reflections from the streets with the puddles of water. And I was like, hmm, that's, that makes up a good shot. And I, I, I'm sure everyone, all the photographers, all the creatives do do that mm -hmm. because it's, it's something that's very natural to us. Well, you've mentioned to me that you've traveled around Victoria a little bit. Yes. Um, taking lots of different photos Absolutely. so how far have you been with photography how far have you traveled to get a good shot let me tell you this someone who doesn't have responsibility mm. and <laughs> someone who has a lot of time mm -hmm. i do travel a lot just to take one good picture do you, so let me ask you this is then is do you travel specifically to find a good shot or are you already just going for a drive with your, you know, camera handy just in case? Bit of both. Bit of both? Bit of both. So it's intention. It's in, sort of intention, semi-intentional, I semi suppose. Semi-intentional. You're right. You're absolutely right. So there will be some days I would have nothing planned on a Saturday or a Sunday. You know, my friends are busy and I've done my household chores. I was like, what should I do? Okay, let's go on a drive. Hmm. And I sort of have a rough idea in my head 
mapped out that this is where I could see good sunsets and this is so let's let's take St. Kilda, right? It's mm-hmm. a beautiful place. You see the sun setting low on summers, long days, you know, you have people out, it's good weather. And I can take very good pictures on in that golden light. That two or three hours of summer sun, that beautiful golden light, you mm-hmm. can just make so many good images mm-hmm. out of that. Mm-hmm. That's my unplanned trip. So what my planned trips looks like is I would have picked up a spot. I have a bunch of spots in east side of uh, of Victoria. Mm-hmm. So let's say Cape Shank, Sorrento, Shelley's Beach, um, you know, London Bridge, Dragon's Head. Mm-hmm. They're all to the east side. Mm-hmm. When you go there, you have you would encounter with the one of the best sunsets Victoria has to offer for a photographer. Yeah. No, no, don't get me wrong. Like you'll see good sunsets on a, on a regular beach on St. Kila as well, but those places have something special to offer. And I have been to those places more than 10, 10 to 12 times over and over again, just trying to take a very good shot. Mm. And something about me, sometimes I'll say to myself, fuck man, I'm going to the same exact place again. I just want to because every time you go there, it's something different. Different lighting, different time of the day, mm. different direction of the sun, yeah. different waves, different air, different type of wind blowing. You can go to the same spot over and over again. It'll be unique in every single way every yeah. time you go there. Yes, <laughs> and I've, um, I remember there's one. I'll put it on the put it on the cast now. Um, there's this one spot at Shelley Beach, which is near Sorrento. The whole beach is called Millionaire's Walk. Mm-hmm. And there's they, they have this jetty, yeah, like a zigzag jetty going. Like it's 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 not a jetty. Well it's, it's you can't call it a pier because it's very small. You can call it a jetty. Mm-hmm. And when you place your wide angle camera to it and you take a long exposure shot. I'll tell you what long exposure quickly. Long exposure. Yeah, well, I have n- <laughs> no I idea. Have no idea. No. Okay. So long exposure is basically you click the camera button hmm. and you you program the camera to take a picture for a very long time. You know when you take a you take a picture, you click hmm. the curtain inside the camera goes flip up, flip down in a very quick progression and takes a picture. Hmm. Let's the light in, records it, processes it, and there you go. Hmm. That's that's your image. But what if you have you have sunglasses on your camera? Mm. You put something dark in front of your camera, and you let that camera capture light for a very long time. So all those waves that were going, you know, mm. all those ripples, they flatten out. They flatten out, and that's a very surreal image you can create. It's not mm. like it's not fake. Mm. Like some people think, oh, that's no, Photoshop. No, no. That's just Photoshop. No, it's not Photoshop. It's a long exposure. That's how, you know, people like Ansel Adams or like those legendary photographers have been doing all those those years. Like long exposure shots. We take a long exposure shot to it. I'll put it on, put it on the, on the screen just now. Mm. It's such a surreal image that I look at it and you're like, shit, man, that's such a beautiful image. It's um, your knowledge of photography is quite impressive because I think um, a regular person like like myself would just look at a picture and think, oh, that's a very striking image. That's a very lovely, lovely picture. But um, yeah. 
thinking about it and uh, dissecting it like you just did, you a regular person wouldn't, wouldn't sort of think about that sort of stuff at all. <laughs> I would agree to that, that a regular person won't be able to. But someone who's into photography would be like, hmm, I think we can straighten out the perspective. I think we could use a rule of thirds. Mm. And, you know, that's our... That's a clue, Dan, of taking a break. But anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. That's fine. So, what was I? Fuck, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yes. Talking about being a professional photographer. Being a f- professional photographer, yes. Um, so, we'll have... Um, shit, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot what I was talking What was I talking about? Man, we should, um, we should mention that we have a... Uh, we're... we're- we're recording a visual version of visual this podcast of this as well. Podcast, and that's like a 30-minute intervals because, you know, for some reason, cameras can only record up to 30 <laughs> minutes. So we're going to take a quick break, then switch it up. And we'll, then we'll, we'll get back to it. We'll, uh, we'll get back to it. Okay, so we're back from a short break. A short break, yes. <clears throat> um, so what were, we, what were we saying before we took that break? You have to bring my attention back. I literally <laughs> forgot. I'm not, I'm not joking. I guess so... From my perspective and from a regular person's perspective, Mm -hmm. you don't really think about the effort it takes to take a good shot of of something, you know, out in the world. Mm -hmm. But as you were describing to me the effort that you go into to find a good shot, um, I guess, you know, talk a little bit about that. What what goes into taking a good picture? Wow, that's a very good question, man. What goes into taking a good picture? For that, I would say you'd have to define what a good picture is. Because everyone has a very different perspective on what a good picture is. For Mm -hmm. you, good picture would be... It's very subjective, I suppose. Absolutely. To someone's taste. Yeah. Yeah. For you, a good picture would be any picture that you look good in. Mm. To me, a good picture is that. How about a piece of scenery? Just, just scenery. Yeah. Let's just forget about people. How about, how about scenery? What, what takes? What is a good piece of scenery that that you can photograph? A famous photographer said that if you have to describe a, a photograph of, if you have to describe an image then you probably didn't go, do a good job. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. And But in contrary to that, I would say, can you describe art? I don't think so. Exactly. I don't think so. When you look at a piece of art, you're like, oh, geez. It's an it's a impressive stroke of brush. But... You can't make sense of it because mm. it's art. Mm-hmm. It it goes so deep that it pushes the threshold of of making sense, and after that, after it crosses the threshold of making sense, mm. it's all emotional. What emotion does it bring you? Bring mm. it in you. There, uh, remember, I was just talking about the picture of the jetty I took. It's a black and white picture. I'll mm. put it on put it on the screen again. Mm. I showed it to my friend. He, do you know what he said? He said this looks like a road 
it, this looks like a nightmare that I just keep walking on. And it's it's a very art like mm. it's a very artistic image. Mm -hmm. And there's this one image I took under the pier. Yes. Seaford Pier. If you know if you've ever been yeah. to Seaford, you know? Yeah. It's still even safe it actually. It briefly. Oh well briefly. that's good. It's a good area. <laughs> so you know the C4 pier? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a normal pier, but yes. I went under it. I took a pit and I, I'm I'm pretty sure thousands of people must have taken pictures mm -hmm. of uh, C4 pier. But I took a picture and I pushed it to it pushed it to its limits. Mm. And when I looked at that image, it reminded me of something Dante said. It said, Abandon all hope. Ye who enter here. So it looks like a gate of hell yeah, and right. people are walking into it. It looks like, you know, something like that. You can't That's, make sense of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just all artistic and what the photographer is trying to show to you. Very specific to the individual. It as, absolutely as well. is. 100%. 100%. And that's, you could look at an image and say, like, see, A. And yeah. I could look at something, I could look at the same image and say, yes. I see B, <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> and I think as an artist or as a photographer, it's very crucial for you to describe your image as well. Mm. That what thought you had in mind while you were taking this picture or what did you, or what do you want to make out of it? Mm. Because for you, it'll just be like, seven pillars in a in a perspective and a black and white image yeah. you're like that's a good image mm. to me that'll be something different but sometimes you can be harsh on the critique as well mm. that i was like okay i don't think what you just said is is actually in there and someone else could look at someone, it someone yeah yeah, yeah, yeah think yeah, the complete opposite com complete opposite <laughs> so it's just how you like to prospect. So that's what I said. That's why I said who a friend of mine asked that he is interested in photography and he said, how should he get into it? And I told him, I said, bro, you don't need cameras. You don't need shit all. If you have a phone that can take okay pictures, mm. stop with that because all that matters in photography is perspective. Mm -hmm. Your lens of how you see things. Mm. I'll put another picture on, on this uh, on the screen that says, I put, I'll show you a picture that says there is too much mystery or there's none. You decide. Mm. So it's a picture of a guy and a girl looking at each other in yes. a silhouette. You know what a silhouette yeah, is? Yeah, yes, yes, right? of course. Yeah. In a silhouette. And there's another guy walking in towards them. Mm -hmm. So to me, it, it was like a very, it was like a very, um, you know, it was a very um, cynic image that someone's trying to walk into their chemistry of them talking. Mm. And you can see that this man is trying to walk into them. It's, it's all in silhouettes. Mm. And I thought, can someone make sense out of this? Maybe mm. someone can, but I could. And that's mm. what I like about doing this for myself. It's um, interesting because you're taking ownership of your own own work in a way you, yeah you love that image because mm. it's yours you know it's 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 your interpretation yeah. of that image that you've taken 
absolutely as yes. as as well and you take ownership in <laughs> of that in a way and you love it i love it and i also don't love it at the same time that this doesn't make any sense mm. and i think that's what self doubt is in artists as well like if you if what we mm. just talked about in the last half an hour if you flip the whole premise of this into are you making any money out of this or can you monetize this it's very mm. hard yes it's very hard to do that and for someone who has like what we're talking about is photography and that's my expertise and you let's say you're a regular person mm. who doesn't know much about photography to you mm-hmm. it's very interesting but in the world of commercializing your skills or commercializing your art mm. it's very very hard to do that mm-hmm. because there's so much out there there's mm. so much out there and everyone can take good photographs mm. people who know teeny tiny bit about photographs people can take very good pictures as well mm-hmm. but i think i still think that what photographers can do with their cameras and with their skills is is um, is very very artistic it's and it's hard to replicate with phones and in other stuff i mean i could take a picture on my phone and think it's amazing but then i've yeah. looked at one of your photos and think oh man S- there's something different about <laughs> it yeah right? something different something about different about, about it. taking a picture on an actual camera because you're so used to seeing pictures taken on phones these days yeah. and it's all over instagram just yeah. pe- people can take photos all the time on their phones and it it won't be the same as seeing a picture that's taken on an actual camera. I think what you're saying is that what you just said there was phone versus camera. Mm. I would still disagree to that. I really? can still take good pictures from my phone really? and I do take I guess it. it depends on the phone though, doesn't it? No, 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 no. Does it not? Does it, it it's not then. I'm telling you if it's like uh, let me put it this in an example for you. You give a blunt katana <laughs> to a samurai master. Mm-hmm he would use it in the best it would he would literally bring the best out of that katana mm. which is not that sharp and you give the world's best katana to an amateur he wouldn't make he wouldn't be able to make shit out of it right That's fair enough yeah right it's a good and analogy it is and if you give a phone to a professional photographer who has his basic concepts his basic perspective of taking pictures mm. any decent phone he could make a killing out of it and i can bet bet on that mm. 100% 100% like okay imagine if i give you my camera right now mm. and if i take your phone do you reckon will, will you be able to beat me in taking good pictures you won't be able to no. because it's all about perspective yeah, 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 how yeah. you see things as an individual people get caught up into shit and don't get me wrong mm. you can't take take picture you know have you seen animal photography yeah 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 you can't do that on cheap equipment there is no way absolutely no way and you mm. can't convince me that you can take good pictures mm. of animals on your phone Mm-hmm. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. You can't take good pictures of F1 cars or F1 motorbikes going super fast on a basic no, phone or a basic no, camera. No. You need special equipment. Or you could get a blur. Oh, you just get a blur. Just get a blur. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but as as I was saying, that some things, 
to me in general, photography is all about perspective. And I have seen guys do magic with phones, like with iPhones mm. or with what we have, Samsungs or whatever it is, man. <laughs> I've seen guys done ma do magic. There's so much you can get out of these phones mm. than you can get out of a camera. Mm -hmm. But again, don't get me wrong. Like the camera is a tool, Dan. Camera is just a tool. Your mind is what's driving that tool, and your perspective is what's gonna what's gonna portray that artistic image of yours into reality. Why is it that people take so many photos these days on their phones? Is it to prove that they're actually out doing something with their lives? <laughs> I think why well, it didn't seem to be a thing probably, you know, 10 years ago. Mm. It's sort of more. It's a very interesting question. I think we're going to talk a long time. About oh, yeah. This, this is a whole other episode. It's a whole other episode <laughs> on why people take good, why people want to take pictures. Let me just state. This. Even if it's not a good picture, people just want to sort of prove they've, you know, they're actually. Uh, doing something with their lives they're proving to their social group that they're actually out there doing something they're actually being interesting <laughs> i would say everyone has their own reasons to do that and let's say let's talk about most people in general i would say validation mm. or that reaction when you get from your friends like oh that's a cool picture sort of like a dopamine hit i suppose hit, yes, yes. Uh, that's what i would say in general but i would suggest that does it lose some of the magic though for what you do i mean you take the photographs professionally properly mm. does it lose some of the magic when you see your friends you know take a take a selfie no, 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 absolutely just, just, not. Just for validation, you know, as you no. said. Because everyone is doing it for themselves. If uh, Keep it. I, I would like to encourage people to take more pictures. Absolutely. Because there's something very rewarding about that notification that you get on Google. Yeah. Look back mm. five years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I look at myself, it's like, fuck, I look, I used to look so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and at that, five years ago, I used to think I look like shit. So it doesn't lose the, lose the magic as far as you're it, concerned. To me, it doesn't lose the, lose the magic. I think pictures are a very, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful innovation of freezing that moment that you lived in. Can you imagine? It's that? also like, a, you can, it's like a, you know, a snapshot in history as well. Your own personal history. It is. And basically it's like you can go back, relive that moment mm. five years ago when you have your first child, let's mm -hmm. say, hypothetically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can live that exact same moment. Yep. That's we're just talking about photographs then. Like mm. imagine videos, mm. taking videos of your first, the first time you see your baby girl walking. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Mm. You know, like you can relive that moment over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I think that's precious, man. Mm. Right? 
and when what you what if you compare that to what people do every day and what you what what you just said there like does it fade the magic i don't i don't think it does because i, I don't do it for other people i'm just well i guess my point is people do it so casually these days whereas you go to the effort to find a good picture a good image rather there's something about the casual uh act of taking a picture these days where it's sort of i think anyway it loses the magic of finding a really juicy picture to, you know to take hmm. let me put are we getting too deep we are, we are we are but <laughs> this is what the show should this, this is what the is show, what show is. is yeah yeah okay too philosophical for episode let's, two let's switch the focus from <laughs> me to you dan <laughs> What, what's your what's your hobbies? I know you're into comedy. I realize yes. that that's what you talk about a lot. That you are yeah. into comedy. How did you? When was the first time that you thought this is what this is my hobby? I like doing this. When did you get into? Um, it? Well, it took me a while to actually. So, as a kid growing up, I would watch a lot of uh, comedy on on TV, um, stand up comedy comedy shows, like comedy panel shows, yeah. that that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I would watch the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala on mm. TV mm. every year without fail. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne that the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala that I was watching on TV wasn't the comedy festival. So when I moved to Melbourne you sort of realise, oh, there's hundreds upon hundreds of comedy festival shows um, running every single night because when you watch it on TV, you think, oh, this is it. This, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the comedy festival and you sort of it expands your mind a little bit um, into this whole world of comedy. <laughs> so I guess... Well, let, me, let me ask you this. How old were you when you were watching this? Probably around the same age you were when you discovered photography. Really young. Probably when I was in sort of in the middle of primary school, I would say. Well, why not Why not any other when you, any other thing? Why not cartoons? Why not watching anything else? Why I think, comedy? You know what? I think it's performing in general because I always enjoyed um, theatre as well. Mm. So, I would, so I was in a couple of plays in, in high school. And I just, I just really enjoyed performing as well. So I did drama as a subject in high school, and I was, you know, the plays I was in, I really enjoyed. This is, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to get up on stage and and show off. Essentially, can you recall the first moment then you realized that okay, I like this. This is not bad. This is instead of playing footy or in, instead of playing cricket. This is what I wanted. Probably do. when I went to my first actual real life comedy show. Wow. I forget who it was, but so I lived in a country town, probably an hour and a half away from the main city, which mm. was Canberra. Yeah. Um, and I would sort of went to a lot of effort to arrange to go to Canberra with yeah. some friends to see a comedy show, show yeah. because we we saw this guy on TV so let's go see him in real life because it's not every day someone comes to Canberra to 
to do a show. Mm -hmm. Now, today, everyone goes to Canberra to perform their their show. But back then, 10 plus years ago, it wasn't a thing. You didn't really get it that often. What year are we talking about? Uh, probably, I probably would have. 1997? <laughs> not that old. <laughs> I'm probably, probably around early 2000s. <coughs> early 2000s, 2000s. I was probably in high school when I saw yeah. my first proper live live yeah. show, live yeah. comedy show. Yeah. And I just adored it. Adored yeah. it from, from the moment I saw it. Like, oh, this guy just gets to come on stage and do whatever he wants, says whatever he wants, no safety net, no... Make everyone nothing, laugh. Like, make, he's, look, at, look at it, how joyous everyone is in the audience right now. I want to do that. Yeah. So wow. I, I eventually, you know, worked up the nerve to do it, wow. <laughs> to do stand-up comedy. Mm. It's, it's just a very difficult road compared to photography because you're going out on your own to just, you know take pictures but when you're doing stand-up comedy you have to go in front of people who may or may not laugh at you true <laughs> and you're having to come up with something original you're having to work on your acts people's fear is public speaking mm. comedy is public speaking, speaking. <laughs> and it's it's an it's a. I think it's one of the quickest feedbacks oh, yeah. that you can get off of other people. Dead silence is the worst. worst. Like, yeah. Do Do you reckon? Have you? Do you learn a lot from uh, bomb- bombing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because then you realize what does and doesn't work. Work obviously. So you would try and rewrite a certain certain thing. You would just do it over and you would. The thing about stand-up comedy is it is repetitive. Absolutely, yes. So you just yeah. go out and do the same act over, over. and over and over again. And Until then you find tight. that there are some audiences mm-hmm. that like it and some audiences that don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could yep. do the exact same act over and over again and sometimes it works, sometimes it it won't. So it won't be a good litmus, <laughs> litmus test, test either way, mm. you know, because it depends what venue you're at as well. And there I could be a purpose-built venue for comedy, and then you could then the very next week you could go to a comedy venue, a, a venue that's not purpose-built for comedy at all. <laughs> so it wouldn't be a good good test in your abilities at all. And it there has, could be people could be surrounded. People could be surrounding you eating and mm, drinking, drinking, yeah, because the person who put on that vent or that sort of venue mm-hmm. is has. No idea what comedy is. Yeah, <laughs> because you're right, and there's so many variables to it. Exactly. Like it, <clears throat> not just about the audience, even about you. Maybe you're not having a good day, or maybe you drank too much, mm. or maybe you forgot something, or you know, like there's so much, so many variables, yeah. variables to comedy. But for all those legendary comedians who have been doing that that there's something you can tell it's so tight about their act it's so precise that's because they're uh, you know uh going to the clubs every single week to test out their their material yeah they're doing it over and over and over again to get a perfect hour of comedy yep 
It's and very, it can be very brutal as well because hundred percent. Yeah, and <clears throat> I don't know why I was so drawn to it, but it was something about it that you know just oh I love this because I love performing and but there is that sort of pit in my stomach which gets so sick about having to go up on stage in front of people which is why i stopped <laughs> let's let's take a quick break then yeah let's and, take a uh, quick break we'll, we'll we'll get back to this comedy thing and asking you what what you do how you got into it okay then yes. um so we're back from break mm-hmm. what were we talking about just now comedy comedy stand up comedy stand up comedy stand ups okay so you liked performing when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Can you point out what was it about performing? Like, you know, sometimes... I like showing uh, off. You like showing off? Oh, yeah. That's good. I liked showing off. Yeah. Probably not so much now um, as I get older, I, which is a shame. <laughs> I can't believe you have a very um, pompous personality. It's very hard to believe. You're a very subtle person. Yeah. Maybe, oh, maybe you were. I think that's my sense of humor. I think I prefer subtle subtlety over uh, exuberance. I suppose. Mm. Mm. Well, so <clears throat> first time getting on stage. Let's talk about how you ended up in that situation first, and then talk about. How was your experience as first time stepping on stage? Let's talk about how you got got into that situation to begin with. Well, let's cancel out all the performing that I did in high school because I'd already been on stage um, when I did a couple of plays in high school, which was fine because you're performing with others. You get some stage fright before you go on, but getting on stage while you're by yourself is a completely different animal as well. Mm. So it started a little bit at high school graduation because I did a speech at high school graduation, which I was terrified to do, but I really wanted to do it because I really wanted to make my friends laugh. What was the speech about? I can't even remember, but it it was very disparaging of our teachers at the time. Disparaging. Disparaging. Wow. It, was, it was making fun of all the teachers <laughs> that we that we had. It was making fun of the principals. It was making fun of all the just everyone's teachers that That's were at ballsy. that same event. Yeah, it's and um, so I did. Th- I did that, which sort of led me to pursuing stand up because I'd mm. already been watching stand up growing growing up mm. and seeing some stand up in real life Mm -hmm. so i wanted to try try that out so i started off in canberra and i went to uh, (laughs) the first stand-up gig i ever did was a comedy competition comedy competition which i had no business of doing because i had no experience as a stand-up comic but i thought oh there's this comedy competition taking place in it was a national national uh, competition but it just so happened that the all the finalists would have to uh, participate in Canberra mm. so I'm like cool let's just you know sign up to that competition so the very first stand-up gig I did was at a comedy competition with a bunch of other people who had been doing it 
for ages. Yeah. So I had no wow. business doing that at all. So I had sort of – I was very ill-prepared. Yeah. Let's put it like that. And I was not ready. But I got some laughs. But there were other points in that act where I was not getting anything at all. But, you- for, but, but from that, I still went on to, to, to perform more. But it was that sort of pit – that was sort of sickness in my stomach – um, mm. before going on to stage where I would get so nervous, but once I was out there, it was fine. So f- the first time you got on sk- stage was in Canberra. Yeah. Right? When you made a joke, let's say, mm. and when someone laughed at the joke, what was it? What would what was it like? Oh, can you compare that? It was to euphoric. Anything? Yes, it was yeah, euphoric. Yeah, exactly. Euphoria. Euphoric. Like it was. So I would, because I loved, you know, going out or you know, sort of watching live theatre growing mm-hmm. up, and I just love sort of production, the sort of the animal of production. Yeah. Um, I'd perform in my my room, you know, as a kid growing up, as you know, for for fun. So, actually seeing that sort of, or actually hearing that reaction of of the audience laughing at something I said was validation Very of <laughs> which, which which would then spark me going off to do it more regularly. Yes, as well. I loved it because I loved the attention. <laughs> Very narcissistic, I know, but I just love that sort of attention. I love sort of evoking an emotion out of people, I suppose. That's exactly – I can relate to that in my photography as well. And I think Andrew Schultz yes. said something similar. He said, we do uh, – comedians do comedians do comedy because we like to gain attention. Mm, we like exactly, attention. Exactly, exactly. We like – yeah, exactly. Right? It was, and, it's the attention. It's – it's the sort of, well, let's – I really want to impress someone. I really yes. want to show off a little bit, you know. It's, <laughs> it's so deep. It's such a deep of a psychology that he said that we never got attention when we were growing up. So we say shit on stage in front of a mic mm. and we want to make people laugh. Yeah. And I can't see anything wrong with it. Mm. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing that with words you can spark – emotions in other human beings and they can have a good time. I can think it's that? um I think it's storytelling as well, which Oh yeah, for it's, sure. Um, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Right? Wow. wow. Okay. So I would watch Star Trek growing up, mm. but then I would <clears throat> emulate the episode of Star Trek that I just saw in my room. So I would have a bunch of toys basically in my room playing out by myself, mind you, in my room playing out the episode I just saw with a bunch of, you know, figures, (laughs) with a bunch of action figures that I had in my room. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't think I've ever told you that before but uh, growing up I would just emulate – the Star Trek episode that I just saw in my room with a bunch of Star Trek figures. The Star Trek or Star Wars figures that I had. Because A, little kids do that. And I'm not saying in... uh, I would set up a 
set, like a Star Trek set in scene, my room. Like with a like, scene. Yeah, like a scene. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you would direct it. Oh, yeah. Basically. <laughs> you would, that's such an interesting thing, which you said, Dan, because what you were doing as a kid was you were the director mm. of that scene. Yeah. You had all those toys set up there. Yeah. And you would direct that mm-hmm. film in your head exactly. as a tiny little kid yeah. and play with those toys. I mean, but I would, be, I would be saying the lines as well for each wow. character as well. So I'd be like, you know, my parents would hear me <laughs> talking to myself essentially pretending to be different characters. Yes. So it's, it's that sort of, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's such, it's such, I'm so fascinated by that because if you look at it from a way, it's just a kid playing with the toys. Mm. But what we something what, very different for me at least because yes. I will, I just I think at the heart of what I really want to do is be an actor. Wow. <laughs> but how do you how do you how, how do you do that? How do you do that? Yes, you know. So Absolutely. the next best thing was getting on stage another way and being a stand-up comedian. Man, I I can't tell you because I, I was more comfortable as an actor when I was doing plays because I, it was someone else's work i was acting with other people people yeah it wasn't just me on stage yes yeah wow it's such a fascinating thing just you told me. and I, <laughs> I honestly i can relate to that then mm. because as a kid i also wanted always wanted attention mm. i remember like making my friends laugh was the most satisfying thing for me as well mm. and you, and i think you you can understand that because we both have a very good banter mm. and I have a good satire going on mm-hmm. and I would make jokes off of things. Mm-hmm. And I like that too. Yeah. I can I can absolutely understand very deeply where you're coming from. And what you just told me about that set of Star Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah. Star Trek. I'm so happy I said Star Trek <laughs> and Star Wars. Oh, good. And yes. uh, <laughs> people have been mad just, just in that second. Um that it's it's very interesting of that. So this is your first time getting on stage. Can you can you reveal or do you even remember one or two lines off of the set? Like how much how much time did they give you? Was it like a two minute set? Was it like a five uh, minute set? How how long was it? So the first sort of gig I did was at yeah. that comedy competition that I mentioned. Yeah. We all had 10 minutes each, yeah. which is an eternity. <laughs> 10 minutes each. Yeah. And I didn't have 10 minutes of material. Oh, wow. I had no idea what I was doing, but at the time I had a very sort of scraggly looking beard, mm-hmm. <laughs> a beard of a sort of 19-year-old because yeah. I think that's how old I was. When I, when, when I did it for the first time, I was 19, year old, wow. uh, 19 years old mm. and I had a – very sort of bum fluffy looking beard. So I think I made a joke about me looking homeless. Yeah. So I think I think I think I think that was that was the sort of one of the best jokes I did. You know, saying that I you know I just came off of the street. Can I wash your windows? That sort of something along those lines. I think that's where I where I got the laugh. And that's why. But there are so many other things I sort of prepared for that. Which I can't remember now. Which I, which I didn't get a laugh for at all. So. Do you have that set recorded? But the, I think I do somewhere. It must Man. be on YouTube. We have to. We have to. Put I have that to on. try and find it. But um, but after that, probably about six months later, I went to an actual comedy course. 
A course. A course in Canberra. Wow. Run by a guy called Jay Sullivan mm. um, who actually did his own comedy festival show in Melbourne quite some years ago. Mm. And he was, real. you know, people sort of diss comedy courses but or comedians specifically diss comedy courses but that one was actually very helpful because he got me comfortable with with relying on material that I had in my head. And at the end of that course, we would perform in front of all our, you know, friends and friends and family. So there's probably, you know, 10 people in that course for four weeks. And at, you know, in the fourth week, it would be us performing in front of our friends and family. And I did very well because he helped me along the way to sort of find my voice and then after that I did it for about a year and then I had to stop because it was making me too sick to go on stage to perform in front of a crowd of people. Mm. Do you think you ever got over the fear of public performing, like performing in public? You know what? If I were to do it today, I think that fear of performing by yourself I would still have. Mm. But if I was performing in a play... No. See what you mean? Because it's 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 very it, it's a very vulnerable position that you're in when you're performing by yourself. But when you're performing with a group of people, it's very different. It is because you you have that safety net in a way. Mm. But I think if I were to do it today, I would sort of more. You know, I would go down the uh, performing with other people. If I were in a comedy troupe, I would, I would be more comfortable in a comedy troupe than I would be performing by myself today. Diving into the psychology of this, do you think, and give me a very instant a yes or a no answer, do you think that you performed wee bit better when you were with other people than you were by yourself? Mm, yes yes mm. I think so I mm. think so um, but the thing is when you're doing a play you have an opportunity to sort of rehearse and find a scene with the people that you're performing with when you're doing stand-up comedy you're very much <coughs> rehearsing by yourself in front of a mirror you know, or you're not mm. rehearsing at all. You're just going through your lines. Yeah. So I think that preparation that you have with other people is very valuable compared to Play working yourself. on your own. But that being said, mm. it's you have to really be able to find your voice as a comedian to be comfortable with that performance. So what exactly was it about performing on stage by yourself that hindered your performance? Was it that what would people think or what would your mum or dad think or what would the girl you had a crush on think? And oh my God, you know, what would... uh, what would Jenny think for, you know? <laughs> I think it's <clears throat> just that sort of self-conscious thing that you have where what would people think, you know? Well, mm. si- silence is 
deafening as a comedian. And there'd be more times than not where I would get on stage and it would just be silence, which is just disparaging. It is. As 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 a as a up and coming comedian. Mm. You know, which is what I think, you know, stopped me from doing it because it would just be that that awkward moment where no one would laugh, you know? <laughs> I'd prefer some groans over silence and I think it would just it would just make you sick. It would make you sick to your stomach for, you know, to, to, to go and try and perform and then get nothing, and no response out of, out of people, which is, why, which is why I stopped. I understand that. But did you ever try to push the threshold of, you know, like, no, I would still keep going on no matter oh, what. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I did it for about a year. Mm. But then I sort of – you meet a lot of people when you do stand-up comedy because you'll you'll go into a uh, comedy club as part of a lineup. So you wouldn't be doing an hour by yourself. You'd be doing 10 minutes – um, and then there'd be like four or five other comedians also doing 10 minutes. So you'd all sort of hang out backstage. So you'd meet, you'd meet people, you'd see the same people, you'd make friends, you would do all that sort of stuff. So the more you meet people and the more you go on, your sort of attitude changes in a way where you – well, you sort of flip your perspective. You're like, oh, should I really sort of keep performing or should I just help someone else with their material? Mm. Which I sort of went towards <laughs> the let's just help other people with their material because I still enjoy creating. Let's just create with someone else. That's what I'm, you know, leaning towards. That's what I feel more comfortable mm. doing. Mm. Did you ever try to run your material with other comedians Probably on a different plateau than you were. No. No? No, never? no, never. Because wow. <clears throat> by the time I had that realisation in my head that I can't mm. do this anymore because it's too scary, mm. I had friends in that comedy realm. Mm. I'm like, I really like your material more than I like my own. Mm. So let's help develop yours a bit bit more you know <laughs> i sort of deviated from my own material got sort of got a bit sort of bored of my material and drifted off to someone else's material <laughs> and help and that them. sort of sort of you know you know invigorated my sort of creative outlet in a way because i was creating with someone else and i didn't care if it was my material or theirs so is that something you do on a regular basis every oh, weekends? Yeah, yeah. Oh, on and off, <coughs> on and off. So not not all the time, but it is a semi-regular uh, thing. Thing for you. Yeah, for me, yeah. So I've had a bunch of friends who I started out with in Canberra who do their own comedy mm. festival shows, mm. have appeared at the Sydney Opera House, you know, <laughs> They've gone on to, to great things. People probably still don't know their names, but they've gone on to do multiple shows of the comedy, all the comedy festivals, perform all over the place, appear on TV, and it's those guys who I've I've sort of 
grown up with in a way who I help, you know, push them forward, which I much more, I so much more enjoy that than, than doing my own, own thing. Wow. <laughs> it's really it's, 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 it's the collaboration I, I enjoy, I suppose. It's very rare to have someone who says that they enjoy someone else's material because I think very individualistically mm. and I think it's a very good realization that you sometimes understand that you are a very good number two mm. then you are a good mm. number of one. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know it's so weird to say this, but I know my limitations. You know, mm. I know I have difficulty performing. Yeah. I think it probably stems from what we talked about in the first episode, my speech so, therapy, yeah. but I much prefer collaborating with someone else on their on their material. Well, it's so what's when you when I say their material, it's both our materials, but they're going to be the ones who are performing it at the end of the sure. day. So we're both collaborating sure. on this same same thing. So mm. it's both of ours, you know, mm. in, in a way. It's it's not just theirs. It's 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 ours, but they're the, they're going to be the ones performing it at the end of the day. But do you do you ever when you go to sleep or when you're by yourself, do you ever think that? I want to be the alpha. I want to be the no. one with the name all over the billboards no. and on no. YouTube's. No, you because you I sort of had a I had a realization years ago that that's not me. Mm. I don't want the fame or anything like that. I just I just want to see someone do well. <laughs> and if mm. if they're doing well off something I create, I help them create, then sure. You know, I, I don't care about having my name in lights or anything like that because I have other interests outside of outside of doing that. Mm, wow. So <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, you know, keep me up at night that their name is all over a building instead of mine. It just sort of – it just sort of pushes me along to just do better next, next time on their next show so their name is, even, you know, bigger next time, you know. So, <clears throat> I'm guessing there's a there was a time gap in be- time gap in between when you actually did comedy and when you actually started pe- helping people with their sets. So, did you ever feel in between or then that I want I might go back to back into it? No, you never felt that. Not at all. No, mm. no, no. okay not at all because i can convey a lot more this is some this is why i don't mind their name all over being over buildings because Mm. i can convey a lot more through writing than i can through speech well (laughs) which is quite ironic considering we're doing a podcast Mm. but i can i can convey a lot more when i'm writing so there's never been a moment where I've thought oh, I really want to do that again because I really enjoy the writing process that it takes to put on a comedy festival show. Wow. So you're helping comedians with their sets. Mm. So you're you're basically working in team to help a specific individual yes. 
refine their set mm -hmm. exactly with a very healthy bunch of skills mm. that you've gained over the years and you filter out what you or they think is good or bad mm. before it gets to the audience exactly or before it gets to this uh, before it gets to the first act mm -hmm. that's good man that's a very exactly good it's <clears throat> as i've found over the years mm. which is why i haven't sort of pursued performing mm. in the last sort of decade i prefer writing i much prefer writing i think that's my thing i prefer writing well, than so i do performing Mm. because I still get the same sort of kick out of seeing someone else perform something that I've helped write. Oh, that's good. So <clears throat> where do you plan to take this, this interest or this hobby of yours in coming years? Do you think that you would be able to freelance and help other comedians um, perfect their set? Or do you think that you would write sets or scenes or see or like, you know, like plays by yourself? Do you I'd ever love to write plays actually now that mm. you mention it, but where I've been at yeah. over the last sort of 15 years or so, mm. I've been helping other people refine their acts Mm -hmm. through the writing process, yeah. you know. So I've – I would like to just continue continue that. And you know what? Actually, writing a play doesn't sound like a bad idea. It, it wouldn't. <laughs> because it it's yeah. the same sort of process in writing it someone's is. act. And I think what you have gained over all those years, that experience, that invaluable experience – of understanding the comedy with such a close lens that I think you would be able to do that. Mm. Also that you enjoy the process of writing. Mm. And I I think I would encourage you to do that, man. I think you should write a set for a comedy like, you know, and uh, we could we could uh, we could perform that on uh, on, uh, on on our podcast because you know Dan as you said in the last episode I'm a, I'm a vain I'm a fucking mm. savage I would do anything as I've told you all, the, all many times I sometimes lack ideas but mm. I have shit tons of confidence where mm. I don't know where I get get it from mm. like you just tell me shit and you tell me like okay this is how you perform you need to be a, B, or in C, and do this kind of X, and I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. I think I'm very good at that. I wouldn't mind doing it. So you're much more comfortable. It's probably showing off than than I am these days. I'm more comfortable in uh, coming up with the, uh, I guess the sort of idea. I suppose. Yes. <laughs> the idea. I suppose that. Yes. Yeah. The creative for the creative force. The sort of. Um, Moves the whole set yeah exactly further. exactly. But I think one doesn't work with the without the other, and that's that's exactly why I think we work to work mm. well together in a team and mm. in a podcast. That you lack things that I have, mm. and I have things that you lack. So it just works out well. Mm. It balances the equation out. It does, 
and I, I, I hope to, you know, like uh, continue with the fucking, I don't know, man, thousands of episodes. I just want <laughs> I to hope. keep doing this every, every I week. Hope so this is fun. I this mean, this is very fun. I was telling you um, in the last break that this is a lot better than our first episode. It is. <laughs> and even though we didn't really sort of have a structure worked out or anything like that, this is a lot more structured than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm so happy we did it again, and I'm glad that you've been pushing it, and I have been also very cooperative with you as well. But uh, I think we should we should wrap this mm. up, man. We should probably wrap this up in a yeah. second. Um, For sure. I, I just want to say that while explain, I, I sound articulate, right? When when I was talking about why I love stand up comedy. Well, what said again? I was articulate when I said yeah. I was, I you know, explain why I love stand-up comedy, right? Because in my head, you see, that's that self-conscious part of me where I'm thinking, oh, did I did I articulate myself? Did I explain myself? Well, that's why I don't perform anymore. That's why I prefer writing. I need to help you out, man. I need to help you out get over that self-doubt. Yeah. That's just, that's what it is. It's self-doubt. I was like, the entire time I was talking, when you were asking me questions, I was thinking, am I explaining myself correctly? Am Am I articulating myself well? <laughs> it doesn't matter, Dan. It's, it does not matter because I think that sometimes in your life you hold values of other people than you do yeah. than you hold of yourself. Absolutely. I, that, I, 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 I said that in last episode as well that I just don't give a flying fuck. I just keep doing my thing mm. and not consider what anyone else has to say. Because only I can judge myself and I know you are not supposed to be better than, you know, Dave Chappelle. You're not supposed to be better than Joe Rogan or you're not better be supposed, you're not supposed to be better than Bill Burr. You're supposed to be better than yesterday's Daniel. Mm -hmm. That's all you need Mm -hmm. to do. Those tiny increments that you go up you fail, you go up, go up and you fail. It spirals you up eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wish, and I am, I'm, I pl- I'm going to pledge this. I'm going to pledge this in front of a camera that I want to help you out every day. Then mm. fuck self-doubt and fuck everything else. Just do your thing. Just put yourself out there. There's probably going to be three people watching this. But who gives a fuck yeah. then? Who gives a fuck? We had such a good time. Can you believe it's been an hour and 25 minutes? Really? This has gone great. This has been a been great, so great episode. Such a great, and this is second episode. episode. <laughs> People have done hundreds and thousands, yeah, and yeah. Joe Rogan's on, I think, fucking two thousand, bro. It's the second episode, mm. and I genuinely don't give a fuck if no, someone, I no one hasn't watched this. I think this has been a, a good second episode. Fuck yes. I think uh, we should tease people that we're going to have a guest on the next episode. Next episode, right? absolutely, guys. We're going to have a guest uh, ne- on next episode. He's a, he's a very dear friend of uh, ours and a good bloke to talk to, and uh, we're going to bring him uh, bring him here, and uh, we'll see how we go, Dan. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.